2: The Michael Reid Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie
3: Friday morning, the 13th of September. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11 a.m. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The notoriously violent gangland feud began in Drahada 14 months ago when a man received multiple gunshot wounds at a halting site on the cement road last July. That man is paralysed and wheelchair bound for the rest of his life. His brother was also shot in another one of more than 70 serious incidents related to a dispute between two drug-dealing gangs, which resulted in the murder of Keith Branigan last month. There have been other shootings, knife attacks, beatings, pipe bomb attacks and an endless number of petrol bomb attacks. Each attack is met with a reprisal. But the tit for tat nature of this feud between the gangsters is not without innocent victims either. Locals want to know who their neighbours are and if a house is set on fire, could it spread and put their lives in danger? Children in Clare Head watched in horror as Branigan was riddled with bullets when they should have been making the last of their summer holiday memories. Children. Ducked for cover in the Thurman Abbey estate when bullets started to ricochet as they played in the evening sunshine while gangsters tried to kill a man sitting in a car. A bullet narrowly missed a woman out walking in Hardman's Gardens when a gunman opened fire on a group of men as shoppers in a busy newsagent's shook with fear. And as shoppers looked for presents in a toy shop and baby clothes in another shop in a busy retail park. Shots rang out in broad daylight. There have also been cases of mistaken identity. Today, we'll hear one such story and speak to the woman next door. Innocently caught up in this feud, she has come under attack simply because of where she lives. I asked the woman next door to tell me who the people that live next door to her are. The attendant... Target um
4: of the f- feud, I suppose, but I can't be a hundred percent sure, mm. but um, it's definitely mistaken identity on my behalf you know um i didn't I'm not involved in any criminal activity, never been in trouble with the law, and I've had two cars petrol bumped, mm. so you know it's. It's scary at the moment not knowing if the next one is going to come through my window.
3: And we're purposely not saying who you are, we're not naming you or where you live. All we are saying is that you're living in a housing estate in Drogheda uh, and you live next door to a house where you believe somebody is a target. Uh, tell us what happened to you. The first attack was on one of your cars, parked outside of your house. It was
4: parked outside my house. This was in and June. Gone in by. June. Yeah. And um, I heard a big bang and I looked out the window and I my car was on fire. And I panicked and I rang the 999 to get the fire brigade out and um, I seen two guys running from from the car and um, the fire brigade came and the guards came and obviously they put the car out. So my car was a complete write off.
3: Right. Was there any doubt in your mind uh, that somebody had set your car on fire?
4: There wasn't, like, I, I knew it wasn't meant for me, so, you know, mm. um, I knew it had to be somebody else that they were looking for, but I couldn't mm. be 100% sure of who they're looking for. Yeah. um, So... Then but there was I, no,
3: there was no mistake. They they meant to set your car on fire. It was just the wrong car. Yeah, right. they meant yeah. to
4: set the car on fire, but it was just the wrong car that they set on fire. And how did they
3: set your car on fire?
4: They smashed the front uh, passenger uh, window and put a petrol can in and set the petrol can on fire in the car.
3: Right, so there's no doubt about their intention. No, yeah.
4: no their intention yeah. was to burn the car. Yeah,
3: And they did so very successfully. And they
4: did successfully. The
3: car was written off, was the it? The car was
4: written off. Totally, yeah. Totally written off. There was no save in the car.
3: Uh, did it explode?
4: No, thankfully it didn't explode. Um, another neighbour had actually come out with a fire extinguisher and mm. started to put the fire out, but I had to um, tell them to back away because mm. Um, from the 999 call they were telling me advise everybody stand to stay back, stand back in the because we tank. actually don't yeah, know at yeah. this stage what had set the car on fire yeah, or what mm, was in the car yeah. you know if it was going to explode or not mm, yeah. now thankfully th- the fire brigade were there within Less than five minutes. What time of the day was this? This was at uh, two o'clock in the morning. Oh, my God. Right. So, okay. it, so were you asleep? Yeah. Yeah. It was, actually, I wasn't just asleep. I was mm. just about to fall asleep. Mm. And um, next we heard the big
3: bang. You, and you, I, you woke to a bang. Yeah,
4: yeah. My dog was actually in the room with me mm. and he jumped and got down. And I knew instantly once he got down off the bed mm. that there was something wrong. Something but wrong. But I yeah. didn't actually think it was my car. Mm. And I ran to my bedroom window to look mm. out and I seen it.
3: And from what you were saying earlier on, this is the first time you were close to trouble, let alone yeah. involved in it. Yeah, I mean,
4: yeah. The, I've never, ever yeah, been in yeah, trouble yeah. with the
3: law before. So this was Not through your own doing, but no. suddenly you're involved yeah, in this in, petrol bomb attack sort yeah. of thing. Yeah yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. So I thought everything was fine, mm. you know. Um, did, you,
3: did, did you think to yourself then or the next day that it had something to do with the people next door?
4: It, there was... There was people around saying, you know, and the the guards had, you know, confirmed to me that it was 100% mistaken identity and it wasn't meant for me, Yeah, you know. And that
3: would have been a relief,
4: I'm sure. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Bad had it happened, but... uh, It was uh, a relief then for the guards to turn around and say, look, Mm. this has been 100% mistaken identity. Mm. And, you know we will try and get to the bottom of this
3: for you. at at that stage then, I I take it you said about uh, making an insurance claim and getting on with your life.
4: Yeah, I made an insurance claim and eventually got myself another new car and Mm. was delighted with my life, you know. Kind of was forgetting about what was after happening Mm. to me and everything, you know, because it has put me through a lot of stress and Mm. um, worry and concern. Of course. So Mm. then I got a new car and I had the new car Parked outside in the exact same spot,
3: forgetting that you were the woman next door if I can, yeah. put it that way, yeah. again, and the danger that that has brought to you, yeah. yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. I parked my new
4: car outside my house yeah. in the exact same spot, and again, it was patch bombed in August, right, and um, they this time they threw a bottle at the car, like, you know, full of petrol and mm. stuff. And it bounced. <clears throat> and they threw it again. And it set a light to the mirror on the side of my car. um, And it actually rolled because it was a bottle. And it rolled and it set my neighbour's car on fire as well.
3: Oh, God. Right. OK. Yeah. 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 So
4: I rang. Um, what, time, what time was this? This sorry? was at um quarter to six in the morning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I knocked my neighbour's house because I knew he had a big fire extinguisher and I knew that like it wasn't an as bad as the first time mm. so he put the fire out immediately mm. and um I rang the guards and I spoke to the guards on this mm. again and they have come back to me again and said, Look, this is totally mistaken mm. identity, you know, and it's not a nice thing to happen Mm. to you.
3: And you don't have to tell me, and I'd prefer if you didn't, uh, but do you know who did this?
4: No, I have no No, idea.
3: Because it happens in the dead of night. Yeah. And they come out uh, and try to attack you when you're asleep. Uh, Yeah. But it's the wrong person. They obviously think it's somebody else. Yeah. Do you think it's over? No. Right.
4: I don't think it's over because they didn't get what they wanted out of this time. Mm. You know. Well very and little damage the second time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the worry is there now that, you know, they'll target the house mm. next because, you know, obviously they've done the car and it didn't work. Mm. So is their next move through my window.
3: yeah. So far it's been an awful nuisance and yeah. an awfully expensive nuisance. Yeah. It's cost you a lot of money. It, it has
4: cost me a fortune mm. to get this, you know,
3: corrected and stuff. And interfere then with your no claims bonus. Yeah. The hassle that you go through, you're without a car, you have to yeah. get a new car, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But these things are really of no concern to you in comparison to the fear that you're living
4: on Yeah, now. it's the fear. The fear is just not... Um, even, it's so hard to explain. I can't even explain the fear and the anxiety that I'm going through every day and every night.
3: Tell me about the nights when you go to bed. I'm... You have your dog beside you. I have
4: my, I have two dogs yes. beside mm. me now and I am absolutely petrified. If I hear a door closing, if I hear the neighbour, you know, tipping something next door or upstairs, it just freaks me out and I'm constantly jumping out of the bed all hours in the morning and night looking to see if, you know, Mm. is the car damaged or you know, or is something else going to happen, you know, because I have had a lend of a car and stuff so my fear is there that Mm. that car is going to get done. Mm. You know, and I can't park outside my own house now. Really? Because you know, th- that's the fear of mm. parking outside my own house. So
3: you're afraid uh, that your property is going to be damaged, yeah. whether it's your car or your house, but you're afraid for your own life. I'm
4: absolutely mm. petrified for my own life. I have tried to contact, um, you know, councils and stuff to get moved from the property that I'm mm. in. Mm. And, like, they have nowhere for me. Mm. So, and it's going to be months, maybe even years before they can. Move me, so I'm living in fear for the rest of my life until I get moved. You're
3: you're afraid your dogs will be killed. Yeah, Mm. yeah. Yeah.
4: I'm afraid I can't leave them in the house on their Mm. own. I can't. I can't even um, go outside my house once it gets dark. Mm. You know, I'm afraid to even open my front door. Mm. You know, um, I have people ringing me and texting me to say, "I'm calling to your house." I'll be there at such a time, you know, so that I'm not opening the door to a total stranger in the dark. Mm. You know, it's it's not a nice um, place to be at the moment, you know, mm. it's.
3: We're calling you the woman next door because not only do you not want to be identified yourself, but you don't want to identify anybody. You don't want to be pointing the finger no, at anybody. No,
4: definitely not. I don't want to point the finger at anyone because I can't be 100% sure, hmm. you know, where this, who they're specifically targeting. Mm-hmm. But I just know they're not.
3: You, it's, you're it's, not You're not involved and you want them to know you're not involved. Yeah. Uh, and that's. The that's, reason you've come into yeah. us today.
4: I haven't really spoken to many mm. people, you know, in the area about it, to be honest. Um, I stick to myself. I've always stuck to myself. I don't go out mm. talking to all the neighbours. You know, I, once I come home, I go in and I close my door and that's it. Mm. And I felt safe and comfortable. But since the two attacks, I don't feel safe and comfortable. Yeah. And
3: I don't know how much I know about this sort of stuff, but what I hear is that somebody sends some young around to do this. They're dirty work, if yeah. you like. And it's probably the young who have got the wrong house or the wrong car outside of the wrong house or whatever the case may be. And you have a, a message to send to whoever has given direction to these young fellas to let them know that you're not involved.
4: Yeah, I'm not the target and just please leave me alone and just leave innocent people alone.
5: Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM
3: FM. As you know, the All-Ireland replay is on tomorrow and I'm sure you'll agree with me, no matter who you're supporting, may the best team win. All right, look, we... Don't need to agree. I'm sure there's uh, some people uh, who would say otherwise, uh, and that's, I suppose, the nature of all of this. But uh, let's uh, agree on a rule, if we can. Uh, And it's a very simple rule. If you're in Dublin, you can cheer for the Dubs. If you're outside of Dublin, you have to cheer for Kerry. I think it's a long-held rule that if you're not from Dublin, you cheer for the other team. So uh, we'll agree on that, I, I think. It'll probably be the way right across the country. People in Dublin will cheer for Dublin and people outside of Dublin will cheer for Kerry. Marie Curran's went to Ashburn in County Meath and found it difficult to get people to agree to this rule.
6: Yeah, up the dubs, the drive for up five. The Definitely. There's loads of dubs in Ashburn going for the drive for five. We'll be there in Kelly's. And you're living in Meads. 12 years living in Mead now next year, but that doesn't mean that we won't be supporting the job. Mead is in Dublin now, isn't it?
0: (laughs) Go ahead of that. I don't think you'll have too many friends in Mead now if you say that.
6: I don't know. Go into Crow Park and see how many people have an Ashbourne address. We definitely won't be supporting them cultures anyway. (laughs) Have you your flag up? No, we don't have any flags. My husband's from West Mead. We're not allowed to have flags. I have a son, who's seven, who said sometimes he supports Mead and sometimes he supports Dublin. We put him up on, for sale on eBay if he doesn't support the dubs.
7: <laughs> I'd be shouting for Kerry. I think Kerry are a great team. They're a very young team. Dublin are brilliant. But at, at, at the same time, I think that Kerry being a young team, they'll have that little bit of advantage.
0: And where know, are you from?
7: Ratford County Mead.
0: And would you not support Dublin? Well, like, see if they're a... Leinster and they're your next door no, 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 neighbour. No, no reason
7: for that also. My wife is a dub, so I guess great satisfaction now supporting Kerry <laughs> <laughs> so will you have two flags up no I won't have any flags up because they'd be, they'd be, they'd be around the place if I had a flag up I, I, I'd have to put up a Dublin flag and that mightn't work out you know it's a great a great game last week and it'd be nice to see a, a repeat of that you know don't be much in it I think you believe. the younger team probably might win
0: do you not think Kerry lost their chance
7: not everybody is saying that, but, you know, I don't think so. They'll improve more than Dublin will because they're a younger team.
6: All for the dubs, even though you're living in Meath. Yeah, even though I'm living in Meath. <laughs> but you kind a bit a stick over that. <laughs> ah, sure. Yeah, but sure what? Bit of crack, you know? Bit of crack. Full of dubs around here, so there'll be a lot more dubs jerseys down here than there will be anything else, to be honest with you.
8: <laughs> well, I'm from Dublin originally, so there's only one choice there. I'm supporting the dubs. Fairly even the last day. Um, I think Dublin have a bit more improving to do. But it's a hard call when you're playing Curly, there's no guarantee.
0: And you're living in Meath, so would you get a bit of stick now with the Dublin flag out?
8: No, I don't get a bit of stick at all, really. Um, I work with the GA and me, I work with Donovan Ashbourne on GPO there. Um, So I'd see myself as a football person first, and the county comes second after that.
0: And if Dublin and Meath were playing?
8: If Dublin and Meath were playing, I'd obviously hope Dublin would win and Meath would do well.
0: You
6: wouldn't be very popular.
8: No, I'll be a very diplomatic answer though.
6: <laughs> uh, I have parents that are from Dublin. I've lived in Meath all my life and um, I don't really mind who wins, to be honest. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Will you have a Dublin flag up. Uh, no. no. <laughs> so if Meath and Dublin were playing, who would you be cheering for? Meath. Away. Yeah,
6: yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other half now he probably wouldn't be, but uh, yes.
0: <laughs> in Crow Park, loads of interest. Yeah, and um, the Dubs are definitely going to win. One hundred percent, absolutely. Kerry had their chance there two weeks ago, and they they let it slip. So there's no way that Dublin are not going to win this match. They were 15 players. They had their chance against 14 players, and they couldn't do it. So that's their loss. So up the Dubs, and they'll definitely go five in a row. One hundred percent.
3: I'm neutral. Uh... I'm a Corkman, okay. so I suppose a little bit of allegiance will go to the kingdom. But having said that, uh, you'd wish the best team. And I suppose when you have underdogs coming through, uh, it would be nice again to see uh, underdogs winning.
0: And who's the underdogs? Kerry. Are you living in Meath?
3: I'm living in Meath, yes. I've been living in Ashburn for, uh, since 83.
0: Would you put a flag out or anything like no, that?
3: No, Corkman doesn't put a Kerry, Kerry flag outside his door under any circumstances he puts a red and white flag out every time just to make sure that the Kerry people know that the Cork people are around
9: <laughs>
6: Up the dubs all the way Wouldn't want those Kerry fellas winning for another time Five in a row, here we go And where are you from? Originally from Dublin but um, living in Ashburn So you're living in Mead now I'm then? a Mead woman now apparently a Dulci as they say Blowing. <laughs> blow in And will you have your Dublin flag out? Uh, Probably be lynched, but it'll still be there. (laughs) It'll still definitely be there. And if Dublin and Meath were playing? Ooh, still the Dubs, unfortunately. Yes. Uh, The son now is is a a footballer, plays uh, for. used to play for Dublin Club, but has moved out to a Meath Club now. And uh, yeah, it'll be a tough one in our house, but the Dubs still. But have you ever played for the Royals at
0: county level?
6: Oh, that's a very tough one. If he played at county level, I'd be out supporting him for definite,
0: for sure, for sure. <laughs> now, you're a Roscommon woman living in Mead. So who are you going to be supporting on Saturday? Dublin. Dublin? Yeah. Is that because they're your neighbours? No, I've made my living in Dublin, so that's why I support Dublin. And do you think they can do the five in a row? Of course they can. Would you have I'm a Dublin. flag out? No, no. Oh,
10: I'm married to a Mead man. I couldn't put that out. <laughs> The dubs, up the
6: dubs. (laughs) You're a true blue supporter.
0: Absolutely, yeah. They'll get it, don't worry. Uh, Dublin, of course. Do you think they can do it? Of course they can, five in a row. You're a Mead man. Yeah. Who would you like to see win on Saturday? Kerry. Why?
11: (laughs) I would like to give you that. Is is that to do
0: now with Mead-Dublin rivalries?
11: It it is, yes. And
8: Dublin are so good and Mead are so bloody poor.
0: (laughs) The first thing I'm noticing is your blue fingernails with the varnish on. Is that for a reason? It is indeed, yeah. I'm... I'm living in Dublin, working in Maid and afraid to wear a Dublin jersey here so at least I can hide my nails when I want to <laughs> So you're a Dublin fan? I am indeed, yeah Will you be going to the game? I hope so, yeah I hope to get a ticket Yeah, hope so. And do you think Dublin can do it five in a row? Absolutely Yeah, with 15 players?
3: And thanks to those people in Ashburn for taking the time to speak with Marie Kearns for us. A lot of excitement and undoubtedly there'll be a lot of drama in Crow Park tomorrow. Now back to the other drama and Brexit never fails to be dramatic. Yesterday the Speaker of the House of Commons John Bercow described the Prime
8: Minister as a bank robber. One should no more refuse to request an extension of Article 50 because of what one might regard as the noble end of departing from the EU as soon as possible, then one could possibly excuse robbing a bank on the basis that the cash stolen would be donated to a charitable cause immediately afterwards. Neither the limitations of the existing rulebook nor the ticking of the clock will stop it doing so. John berko the
3: Prime Minister himself has been speaking about Brexit and the fears that people have been feeling about how Armageddon may ensue after reading the findings of
9: the Yellowhammer report. It's very important to understand, Vicky, what this document is. This is a worst-case scenario, which civil servants obviously have to prepare for. But in the last few months, and particularly in the 50 days since I've been Prime Minister, we've been massively accelerating our uh, preparations We're trying to get a deal. I'm very hopeful that we will get a deal with our European friends uh, on October the 17th uh, or 18th or or thereabouts. But if we have to come out on October the 31st with no deal, we will be ready and the ports will be ready and the farming communities will be ready and all the industries that matter will be ready uh, for a no deal Brexit. And what you're looking at here is just the sensible preparations, uh, the, the, the worst case scenario that you expect any government uh, to do. Uh, in reality, we will certainly be ready for a, for a no-deal Brexit, if we have to do it. I stress again, uh, that's not where we intend to, uh, to end up.
6: So finally, did you lie to the Queen when you advised her to prorogue to suspend parliament
9: absolutely not and uh, that and indeed the, as I, as i say the the high court in in england plainly agrees with us but the Supreme Court will have to decide. We need a Queen's speech. We need to get on and do all sorts of things at a national level. We've got a fantastic... Well, here we are discussing shipbuilding. We're going to be launching uh, five new Type 31 frigates. We're going to need bills on education, on health, on housing, on technology, on our, our, our vision for investing in, in science, the space programme, all the things that we want to do uh, on environment, stopping the export of, of, of waste overseas and plastics. There are a huge number of things that we want to get on with and do you can't do them? We've been going on uh, in this parliament now for longer than any time since the civil war. We need a Queen's speech, we need to, to get on with things. And parliament will have time both before and after that crucial summit on October 17th, 18th to talk about the Brexit deal. I'm very hopeful that we will get a deal. As I say, at that crucial summit,
3: Prime Minister Boris Johnson speaking to Sky News. Government ministers were singing off the same hymn sheet yesterday. I'm not embarrassed by the Yellowhammer production. The Defence Secretary Ben Wallace speaking to Sky News as well yesterday. Not embarrassed, but perhaps giving people some reason for concern when he started talking about troops and police and security. That's the planning assumption, and that means we then try and match that assumption with action, such as whether we use members of my department, the members of the armed forces, uh, to mitigate those effects, whether we charter more ships to try and mitigate that. So that's the government side, the DUP. Well, they're not too concerned by Yellowhammer either, as Geoffrey Donaldson outlined to the BBC yesterday.
8: Smuggling in Northern Ireland has been a perennial problem, I'm afraid. I recently took part in a delegation from the British-Irish Parliamentary Assembly. We went to cross and South Armagh and talked to the police and uh, the customs and so on. Smuggling goes on at the moment, uh, even though both uh, the UK and the Republic of Ireland are in the European Union. Uh, it is a regular feature of uh, uh, life in that part of uh, Northern Ireland, and uh, uh, the authorities have been working hard to uh, stamp it out. And, and one of the points that the document makes is that plans to mitigate against imposing a hard border will be unsustainable. I mean, that is the case, isn't it? A hard border. The way we are going is inevitable in Northern Ireland, uh, on the island of Ireland, isn't it? I don't accept that at all, and uh, both the Irish government and the UK government have made clear they won't be putting any new infrastructure on the border, even in the event of no deal. So I don't think there um, these predictions of uh, the inevitability of a hard border. I keep asking people who say this, well, OK, so tell us who's going to create this hard border. The EU say they won't, the UK say they won't. So who is it?
3: Having said all that, there is room for optimism. Channel 4 asked Geoffrey Donaldson if the chances of getting a deal have improved.
8: Yes, and uh, when you look at the noises coming out of Dublin, for example, I think there's a clear indication of greater flexibility.
3: I'm not sure how much credibility you'll give uh, to any of those Brexit speakers, but perhaps you'll give some credibility to the outgoing president of the European Commission, Jean-Claude Juncker, before Ursula von der Leyen takes over. He's been reflecting on his term in office with Euronews, and he's been questioning how European the British ever were.
12: I didn't decide to have this referendum, I was not intervening in the referendum uh, explanation because Prime Minister Cameron asked me not to intervene because this uh, has to be considered as an inner British problem. We had negotiated an agreement with uh, Cameron on different points. This agreement with Cameron didn't play any role during uh, the referendum campaign. The British were told for more than 40 years That, yes, they are in, but they don't want to share all the policies uh, which have been decided uh, by the European Union. The British, since the very beginning, were part-time Europeans. What we need are full-time Europeans.
3: Part-time Europeans. Jean-Claude Juncker speaking with Euronews.
5: Michael, Michael Reed on,
3: on LMFM. The beef crisis has moved to another level with uh, meat factories not processing across 20 plants, thousands of staff temporarily laid off and supermarkets running short of produce and starting to sell Irish beef that is being processed in the United Kingdom. Aldi, in a statement last night, said some of our Irish beef and pork suppliers have processed Irish beef and pork at their UK-based process. Processing facilities, all of which are quality assured by Borbea. This is clearly reflected on our product's packaging. We'll speak now with Edmund Phelan, President of the ICSA, the Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association. Good morning to you, Edmund. And thanks for joining us. Uh, all of this, uh, whilst we continue to be in this vacuum of sorts, uh, which shows no sign of a
8: resolution.
10: Yeah, and it's, it's getting stranger and stranger. Uh, I mean, we predicted last week that there would be a shortage of beef. Uh, it actually took a little bit longer than I thought. Um, I don't know why pork is an issue, because uh, I know down my part of the country there's no pork factory being blockaded. Okay, uh, you've, there, there are, you've uh,
3: answered that question, pre yeah. that question and answered it for us, okay. but
10: um, Okay, uh, but it, it does beg the question, I mean, Is there this much money in beef that they can afford to export uh, live cattle to the UK, process them and ship it back here rather than paying the farmers a little bit extra uh, so that we can make a living?
3: But is this not one of the issues with the factories that they want to remain open? Because the farmers have been asking the factories to close whilst the talk's take place, but they want to remain open to process pork and sheep.
10: Yeah, the factories actually... Well, we didn't talk directly to the factories. We spoke to the minister and the department the day before yesterday. And we were told that the factories would lock their gates for the duration of the talks. And we agreed to that. But We had the caveat that we wanted nothing in, nothing out that would concentrate the mines totally. Now, we only spoke with beef factories. We weren't talking about pork or lamb or anything like that. Um, we also said that we would not countenance going into talks while injunctions were held over any farmers' heads, that they had to be quashed and struck out. Not deferred, they had to be struck out. Because there's no point in, we say, if the talks fail, that then they go back after individual farmers. And we won't countenance that.
3: Will talks take place this weekend, or on Monday for that matter?
10: I hope so. I mean, the factories wanted them on Monday. The farm organisations... The six of us. We all said, "Why wait till Monday?" We were willing to go in on Saturday. We'd have gone. we done it the other night if meat industry wants us, but they wanted it on Monday. So I don't know if and when they will take place. But this now has stepped it up a gear. I mean, this is like a red rag to a bull, starting to ship Irish cattle to the UK, process them there, and bring it back. That's sort of giving the two fingers to to the people on the picket line that are only there trying to make a living. <laughs>
3: Right. Uh, who's giving the two fingers? Uh, Aldi in this case uh, and uh, the retailers generally?
10: Well, I, I don't know. The meat industry, they're the ones doing the processing. Um, uh, but it, there's, there's also another issue here. We, for, for the last number of years, we in ICSA, we've been working, trying to get Irish cattle um, shipped live to the UK for finishing there and processing. And the we said the big three uh, processors in Ireland, they control England as well, uh, and Scotland. They have more plants there than anybody else. And they said, no, they have this term, nomad cattle. Uh, they, they couldn't have uh, nomad cattle, but the English consumer would be confused. Hmm. They wouldn't know what to think. Hmm. But obviously the Irish consumer is, <laughs> must be uh, must be better that... It, we don't mind nomad cattle. No, they, they can bring our cattle over there and back again, but mm. they can't bring our cattle over there and sell them in the UK. Uh,
3: would you ask uh, people uh, to buy Irish beef processed in the UK, or have you got an opinion on that?
10: Uh, I haven't given it a lot of thought. I, I'm I'm sort of falling between two stools here. Mm. Of course we want uh, Irish people to to buy Irish beef, but we don't. We don't want to see uh, workers in meat factories here put out of work and then bring the processing somewhere else. That is not on. That's giving two fingers to, the, to their own workforce as well as to the Irish farmers. Mm. Can, so the, can the can, has to make up their own mind on this?
3: Can the public support the Irish farmer?
10: They can, of course. I mean, I've always asked the public to support Irish produce, um, whether it is beef, milk, cheese.
3: I suppose. That, I suppose that's the question. For I'm sorry, Edmund, to cut across you, but I suppose that's the question that people might be asking themselves now, and the answer is not very easy to find. Uh, if you want to support the Irish farmer, uh, are you doing so if you buy Irish beef that has been processed in the UK at a time when the Irish farmer is in dispute with uh, the Irish processors? Actually,
10: yes, no. You nudge made a point. Maybe you're not. Uh, um, as I say, the Irish farmer isn't getting... Well, OK, this the Irish farmer is selling his beef. What he's getting for it, I don't know. Um, this, this thing only happened in the, in the last couple of days. I only heard about it last mm. night. Um,
3: it is possible that you're undermining the farmer, isn't it?
10: It is. And as I say, you're undermining the factory worker as well. And this is not on, but I mean, I don't speak for the factory mm. workers. Um, that, that's for, for their unions to represent them. But I do have an opinion on it. But uh, um, It's the farmers I represent. Mm. and it, it is undermining the farmers and the people at the factory gates and it is actually you know, it it gets their dander up as they say and it will make, make them less, less inclined uh, to accept the deal uh, because like I went to one of the protests last night there was a meeting there and I went in just to, to hear what was being said and I spoke at the meeting mm. and people are very, very angry. Very
3: angry. I'm sure they are. And I'd say that anger could spread. I mean, uh, if you think of landlords, let's say, uh, who won't get paid their rent from people who have been suddenly laid off, albeit temporarily, uh, never mind hauliers or other people who transport uh, the food, for that matter.
10: Yeah, I mean, it spreads spreads very, very widely. You know, And I mean, this thing can be solved. Uh, we're not asking for an arm and leg. All we're asking for is that we can make a living. And if they can afford to bring cattle to, to the UK and uh, process them there and bring them back, obviously there's there's a lot of money in the beef trade, but it's not coming to the producer.
3: And what are you hearing about talks? Uh, you said you, you, you hope they take place soon. Uh, are you hearing that they might or that they will?
10: Well, I was in contact with the minister's office this morning and uh, they're having problems with MIA to get get them to agree to uh, our terms, so I'm hoping later in the day to hear something more positive.
3: Okay, we'll leave there for the moment and thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, again today. Edmund Phelan, President of the ICSA, the Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association.
5: Michael Reid on, on LMFM.
3: FM. Let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Curran uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and comments that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie.
0: Good morning, Michael, and good morning to everybody listening in. Pat in that boy Michael was listening to your interview at the top of the program with the woman next door as we are describing her and he says listening to that interview Michael there's a much bigger picture in all of this and his train of thought is that you'd wonder were those responsible for attacking the cars given a number of the car and if they were did they get the wrong car and keeping that train of thought, he wonders, if they were given the name of a person, could they get the wrong person? They could make a bigger mistake than that, and that's his worry. And he says, I feel so sorry for the woman. She must be terrified living there with all this going on.
3: Yeah, I think that interview this morning may be a wake-up call for a a lot of people and bring to uh, the attention of people that the danger is always there, it seems, in this town. Uh, Perhaps you're involved, perhaps you're not. Sometimes it Makes no difference because innocent people can get caught up in these things.
0: Margaret was also listening in and she says all that woman is doing is trying to get on with her day to day life, Michael. It's just awful what she's been subjected to when she's innocent and has done nothing wrong. Can nobody help her at all in that situation?
3: Well, that's why she spoke to us, uh, because it appears that nobody can. And she spoke to us not so that we could hear her story but she spoke to us so that those who are responsible for the attacks on her property will realise that they're attacking the wrong person that they're doing this to somebody who has nothing to do it and that's the message that she wanted to get them please leave me alone, I'm an innocent person it's as simple and as straightforward and as horrifying as that
0: Michael phoned in to say that there are a lot of people living in all parts of the town, Michael, that are nervous because of where they are living, have nothing at all to do with uh, the feud, but because of their location, they are afraid that they could Get caught up in something that they're not involved in. And that's something what you're really mentioning there, too, that people could be in danger and they might not even realise it some of the time.
3: Mm. Or or they can be in danger because they live next door to somebody who has been targeted. uh, And, you know, you set somebody's house on fire next door, your house can simply uh, go up uh, alongside it. And that could be detrimental for you and your family.
0: Moving then, Michael, to the beef dispute. Uh, We had a listener, John. And he was listening in there to uh, the interview uh, just regarding the current situation with Edmund Phelan. And he said, did he mishear that there are six different organisations representing the farmers? And he feels that this could be part of the problem. How could you have cohesion amongst the farmers themselves when there are so many organisations involved in the negotiations? Surely one or two, you know, two being Uh a maximum, or at least a governing body of all the farmers could represent the farmers because he thinks that that could... Uh, you know be damaging when you have so many different viewpoints being represented
3: Okay well uh, I think uh, farmers uh, farm in different ways and each of the different organisations have uh, their own representative cohort uh, and uh, indeed uh, there's always been uh, all of uh, these organisations working on behalf of what is it I think 75,000 farmers in in the country and and that in itself uh, would be a tall task to see one organisation oversee. Let's uh, turn our attention to something completely different though now and we go to independent councillor in Loud Paddy McQuillan who's come in to us uh, today before he goes to St. Lawrence's gate and uh, you're uh, to stage a protest there this morning.
11: Well not so much a protest Michael, it's just that uh, we're going to voice our opinion that the lack of uh, progress being made uh, on the gate being opened as a tourist attraction. Uh, as you know and your listeners know, two and a half years ago a campaign was launched and drawn by the Members of the public and community activists to uh, close uh, St. Lawrence's Gate off the traffic. Uh, uh, it was well documented, and people seeing it with their own eyes that trucks were getting stuck under the gate, lorries were hitting it. So a traffic management plan was put in place mm. uh, and successfully closed the uh, traffic off, uh, closed the gate off the traffic.
3: It's still a, a pretty dangerous part of town for pedestrians, though, isn't it?
11: Well. It is, yeah. Well
3: that's mm. true, yeah. Possibly but, more so.
11: Well, no, I wouldn't say more so because there, there's no there's no traffic mm. coming under the gate now and the tourists were standing on the road taking pictures mm. of the gate.
3: No, they're driving beside it. I don't know if you see people uh second guessing themselves trying to cross the road uh, at the various junctions.
11: Well look, that's that's road safety management. That's the, that's a different thing. I'm okay. here to I'm mm. here to talk about getting the gate yeah. open as a as a mm. tourist attraction. Mm. Uh after the, after the successful campaign the, the then minister uh, for the OPW Sean Canny, and I quote We said he was committed to making the gate to making the gate fulfil his potential in terms of being open as a visitor attraction
3: when was that two and a half years ago
11: well two and a half years ago the campaign started yeah. just over mm. two years now that the That's gate is closed mm. Yeah. Mm. so uh, two years on we're still the underweiser. Uh, the gate is still closed. You have people coming to see the gate. They're standing taking pictures of it. It's like somebody said to me, it's like going to the Colosseum, taking the picture of the Coliseum, but not being allowed to go inside. Mm. Uh, so,
3: if you're, if you're going to Rome, that's exactly what I'd recommend. It's much nicer from the outside, by the well, way, than yeah, inside. Yeah, mm. that's, yeah mm. well,
11: look. Mm. So, look, uh, on the September the 2nd at mm. the Municipal Meeting, I, uh, I asked a question on uh, how far the negotiations were ongoing. In with the view of getting this open to to the public, Uh, and the result uh, the response I got was that talks are ongoing, Mm. but there's no money. It's it's kind Mm. of a a generic response. You know what I mean? Uh, I wasn't happy with the public weren't happy with Uh, as part of.
3: How much is needed? Uh, cause well,
11: see, this is it. There is structural damage done to it. Yeah, we know yeah. that. And if people pub-
3: start traipsing up and down it, I suppose well, there's the risk of more structural well, damage. Look, so, this is so, the so you need some reinforcements. It
11: looks like a big, strong, sturdy
3: mm, uh, yes, building, yeah, yeah, but
11: yeah. it's old and it has been hit by trucks. We know yeah. the structural mm, damage. You mm, know, I know, mm, the, the mm, public mm, know. We're yes, not stupid. Yes. We know there's damage done not mm. That's why it was closed. So we need to get negotiations ongoing. Mm. We need do to get we, do, do we know
3: what's involved? Because you would also need somebody to uh, oversee tourists visiting the gate. Uh, in yeah. other words, you'd have to employ staff. Oh yeah, yeah. You,
11: you would. And this is, this, this is what, what I'm suggesting. Mm. Uh, the talks are ongoing between Laird County Council and the OPW. Because
3: it's the responsibility of the Office of Public Works, the OPW. OPW yeah. at the moment, yeah. Mm.
11: And Laird County Council mm. own the ground around mm. it.
3: But it's a national monument, so it's the OPW's OPW. gig.
11: yeah. yeah. Mm. So, what I'm suggesting is that members of the Close the Gate Committee and members of the Old Royal Society come on board in these negotiations and help them move forward because they seem to be stagnant. Mm. now. And, but they need to get in touch with Fulcher Ireland too mm. and the government. Like if you look at uh, Calford Castle, there's 400,000 euros being invested in that now. Mm. Uh, and the minister is going to go up there now in a couple of, a couple of weeks. Minister Moore, he's in charge of the now. He's going to go up there now in a couple of weeks and praise this and mm. launch this. And we have this structure, this fantastic tourist attraction, mm. potential tourist attraction in our town, and it's just sitting there. So we need to get money to get the structural deficit, uh, the structural defects How much? fixed. Well, we don't know that. That's, no. that's the thing. Okay. That nobody mm-hmm. knows. Mm-hmm. But at least if we get more people around the table... More ideas, at mm. least we can find
3: okay. out. Okay, and I, I take it uh, you're asking people to meet with you this morning. Uh, the Old Rodham Society will be there. The uh, Save the Gate campaigners will be there. Uh, a photo shoot uh, uh, such yeah, and to... Yeah, raise,
11: raise awareness. To,
3: ...to to send a message to the OPW.
11: Send a message to the OPW and to Louth County Council that the public want this open.
3: Mm. Like but Louth County Council's it. hands are tied, are they not...
11: Well, look, they're in negotiations mm. with the OPW, yeah, they, they, so, so they, they, they can they express around your the table views already. Approach, yeah. okay. So mm. let's add, let's get some more ideas around the table. Let's okay. get the old dollars. Okay. Look at Millbank mm. Museum, for example. Millbank Museum and Millbank Tower, oh. they're, they're OPW buildings, but the old Dorlas Society are running them for mm. the OPW. It's like a caretakers agreement they have there, mm. and they're running very successfully. I think uh, there's 26 people on the C's game. In, in both places there. It's mm. fantastic, yeah, fantastic yeah, work. But you don't
3: have the same sort of structural problems. No, and, and, but this, this and, is my point, like, yeah.
11: the, the structural problem mm. need to be addressed. If they're not addressed, it'll never be opened. Mm. So we need to get the government on board and we need to get Fulton on board. They need to come down, cast it, and help out. Mm. And simple, it's simple. You know, this is a big thing. This is a big thing for our town. It's it's, it's part of, it's an iconic mm. structure in It's part of our, uh, And would you program. suggest charging into it well, to pay for the staff? Yeah, well, that's. You, you charge into most places, right? Okay. You know what I mean? And yeah. That's the mm. way it works. Yeah. Okay. You know that. Mm. During the Fly Coal, people paid €7 Euros in to go up it. Mm. And it was open three days. And if you're averaging, what, 10 people every 15 minutes? Because it was up and down, it was really quick. That's a lot of money. Mm. You know mm. what I mean? That's. You know, 40 by 7, yeah. 2 over 200 an hour. Mm. That's a lot of
3: revenue yeah. there. Well, people really, come back to draw it if they feel ripped off. Well, look. 7 euro. Well, that's, well, that's what <laughs> okay. they were charging during the flag. Fair enough. And they yeah. sold yeah. Yeah. every okay. day. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, not saying <laughs> okay. I'm going to charge.
11: It's not up to me <laughs> to charge anyway.
3: Okay. All right. 12, 12, 12 o'clock
11: today,
13: you're asking. Yeah, we're just standing there. We're just going to
11: yeah. voice yeah. our opinion. Yeah. Yeah. We want powers to be and all mm. that we want this gate
3: open okay.
11: we need to save the gate
3: okay. at noon at Lawrence's gate if you want to support Paddy McQuillan independent councillor thanks for coming in to us uh, this morning Paddy uh, let's go back uh, to the phones uh, you have more comments there Marie.
0: I have indeed gone back to the beef dispute James says if the producer i.e. the farmer is not making money what is the point they have to make a living uh, on the Vox Pop in Ashburn Sandra phoned in to say could you not offend a few more Mead people in Ashburn Marie it seems like the dubs are taking over well,
3: they I, are I, I, I heard somebody tell you Ashburn is in Dublin
0: <laughs> you did yeah mm. uh,
3: so why would you find Mead people in Dublin
0: <laughs> We will we, we'll return of the duty free shopping uh, we mm. have a couple of comments in relation to that one listener wants to know Michael you wouldn't mind booking two tickets for London to them um, for Lon- to London for mm. them mm-hmm. because uh, they find it hard to get them for 25 euro and you nah, seem yeah. to think you can. <laughs> mm.
3: Yeah well have a look on the internet I'm sure you'll find uh, uh, tickets for that price. Uh,
0: another listener says at the moment in Dublin on the black market you can buy a packet of cigarettes for 4 euros mm. Uh, Marie, it's not only cigarettes and alcohol that the government is making a killing on. What about uh, the taxes on petrol, diesel, cars? They are talking about driving less, drinking less and smoking less, yet they are making millions on the excise tax. How will they replace the money, asked Pat from mm. Yeah, Interesting
3: question. Yes, yeah. yeah. so
0: we yeah. just, one, one or two more, just mm. if I can get yeah. to Michael. We were speaking to Thomas Byrne earlier in the week and the subject of grinds came up during mm. that discussion. Mm. And with a few comments on that, Margaret says that there are far too many free classes in secondary schools mm. she said that says that maybe if there weren't so many free classes children might not need grinds okay. and that this should be addressed and mary says that there are children that go to grinds so that they can achieve a top grade in order to get points it's not so much that they are afraid of failing in some cases but they want the top grades and mm. that's a reflection of our point system okay All right, that's it. That's it.
3: Thank you indeed. Uh, And thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850 715 958.
5: Michael Reed on LMFM.
3: Now let's return to the story we heard at the beginning of the program from the woman next door, Labour Party Senator Gerald Nash, who lives in Drogheda has come in to us this morning. Good morning to you, and oh thanks for joining us. What did you have to make of what the woman next door said? I think it was
13: an extraordinary testimony um, from a normal citizen who's gone about her own business, who's never been in difficulty with the law, um, describing the problems that she's experiencing, the human consequences of, and indirect consequences of, this criminal feud between two warring gangs. Um, I was sitting home this morning listening to it, and the first thing that entered my mind was that this could be my sister, my uh, wife, my mother, my friend, Somebody who I care about, and I'm dealing with the consequences and the fallout of this feud every day the human consequences Mm. dealing with people who um, are related to individuals who have clocked up small drug debts that become large drug debts, Um, people who various individuals have accused of ratting to the guards Mm. when they clearly haven't, people again who get on with their own business. people who want to be moved from the homes that they've occupied for years because mm. of fear for themselves and their families, that they'll be hit by that stray bullet. Uh, they'll be burnt alive in their bed um, because a house next door mm. uh, might be targeted. Um, and that's the situation with...
3: She just has the wrong address, is living next door to somebody and has being confused by somebody else who thinks they're the neighbour. Uh, and when she left here yesterday... Uh, said to her, look, we don't know if the people who are attacking you will be listening uh, but we hope that they will be listening or that somebody will say to them there was a woman on the radio uh, and she was asking you to stop attacking her because you're attacking the wrong person or that they'll say to them, there's a a podcast of it that you can hear and that the message would get to them so that they would stop this uh, activity that is putting her life in danger it's sad
13: that this particular woman felt that she had to come into her local radio station
3: it's all she can do she's been to the
13: guards speak to the public Hmm. um, whoever's listening um, through this medium to try to get through um, to these people uh, to desist that they're putting innocent lives at risk in many ways Michael I think the interview you did this morning was possibly the most important interview that you've done in the context of this feud that's been raging now for 14 months because I think a lot of people who people are generally concerned about the atmosphere around town and the impact that the feud has had uh, on the, our town's reputation uh, and uh, on, 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 on town in general uh, and on, on individuals but some people might think that look they can pretty much go through their lives without being directly affected by this but It's time now, I think, for people to sit up and really take account of what's going on. Because if you're that person who thinks that you're not directly affected, leave this up to the guards. This will be resolved in time. Well, this could be your daughter, your wife, your friend. You. You, exactly. And this is how things happen. This is how mistakes happen. And this is how innocent people get caught up. As I've been saying time and time again, it's that stray bullet. It's that... um, Woman indirectly caught up uh, in a feud uh, through absolutely no fault of her own, who could be, you know, a a, a casualty or, or or indeed, a a fatal victim Mm. uh, of what's going on at the moment. So um, I'm not sure that those who are involved in these kind of activities listen to the Michael Reed show. Mm. I'm not sure that they uh, read uh, mainstream newspapers. I'm not sure that they uh, listen to the mainstream media, if we can use that term. But it's a small uh, town. And I'm not and sure the, that the, they mm, have the same mm, ethical and moral yeah, code but it, that it, you it, and I and 99% yeah, of the people it, of Toronto and elsewhere it, have. It,
3: it is a small town and the hope that woman has, the hope we had in facilitating her message is that the message will get to the people who we'll are Will
13: filter it. out, exactly, yeah. and that's the important thing. And that's the importance of this medium here, Michael, and that those who are maybe related to and those who care For the people who are involved in this feud, Mm. that they sit them down and say, That could be somebody you care about, somebody you love. Mm. Enough is enough. Yeah.
3: Okay. Well,. Turn our attention to other issues, uh, and of course, the issue that has been uh, dominating everybody's uh, minds—not uh, just here, not just a- across uh, the water, not just across the European Union, but elsewhere for that matter—Brexit, uh, uh, deal, no deal, what will happen? Uh, Probing Parliament uh, and uh, where we go from here. Uh, what are your thoughts this morning? Oh
13: well, Michael, where where do we start? Um, I was a little concerned reading the comments from Michelle Barnier yesterday evening that he doesn't believe or any way close to um getting a divorce deal as it were um that would work and resolve the border issue in Ireland uh, there's lots of noises coming from um number 10 downing street uh and the team around Boris Johnson insisting that um they're making some kind of breakthrough uh with the yeah. European Union and by extension Ireland but we've seen no evidence whatsoever at this point in time and there's been no um Uh, written communication uh, Mm. to the European Commission that the Irish government or anybody else is aware Mm. of uh, that would address the issues that Boris Johnson and others say they're concerned about uh, and satisfy the requirements Mm. of
3: Ireland. Remember, our... You can't trust a word that comes out of Downing Street. It's Downing Street that has accused the judiciary of making political decisions. That's right. I mean, we live in very peculiar
13: Mm. times. Um, We have a situation where it appears, um, allegedly at least, that the Prime Minister uh, lied uh, to the head of state in the UK, um, Queen Elizabeth, uh, in requesting the yeah. prorogation of Parliament. Um, that's an extraordinary situation yeah. for somebody who has always said that he protects the constitution of yeah the uh, of 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 great britain and respects the monarchy uh, and so on uh, but it seems that um you're correct i mean we can we trust uh, what the british prime minister says i'm not so sure we can the very diplomatic language of course has been used by the Thonshire Minister of Foreign Affairs, Simon Coveney, when he yeah. says that he believes that Boris Johnson is committed to avoiding a no-deal scenario. I understand why he would say that. It's important mm. that diplomatic as- language
3: is used. I think uh, he and is. I, channels I, are used. I, I, I don't think that's wrong. I think he is. I mean, I, I think... Uh He might be thick, but he's not stupid, uh, as we used to say. uh, uh, And that he's had a game plan from the outset. uh, And that has been to win a a general election and sell the DUP out.
13: Yeah, well, he will not get a general election um, uh, uh, when he wants one. Well, he's tried twice. (laughs) He's tried twice and failed twice. He he tried twice (laughs) and failed twice. And remember, uh, and, and, Mm. you know, over the last couple of weeks, uh, I think... Uh, Jeremy Corbyn and my Labour Party colleagues in the UK have actually played a, a smart game in terms of using parliamentary procedure to do a couple of things. Firstly, to make sure that um, it is legally impossible for um, the Prime Minister to launch the UK into a, a mm-hmm. no-deal um, scenario um, between now and, and the end of uh, mm-hmm. of October. Uh, and the Speaker, uh, confirmed, uh, that uh, and the speaker confirmed that yesterday. John Pergo said it won't happen. Yeah. Uh, now, mm-hmm. at the same time, Um, We know that uh, this is a Prime Minister that has decided to ditch Parliamentary Convention, Mm. has decided to critically undermine Mm. uh, the Constitutional Conventions in the UK. You might have to go back
3: to work on Wednesday if the Supreme Court rules in favour of the Scottish judges. Uh,
13: Absolutely. I mean, that remains to be seen. Um, But uh, if you say that you protect the Constitutional integrity of the UK and the Constitutional Conventions, what you also then must do is what... Some Tory party members don't do, uh, and that is respect the independence of the judiciary. Uh, That's a very important tenet of the separation of powers of any liberal democracy. Hmm. And when government ministers and others start attacking the independence of judges who are making professional uh, informed mm. judgments in relation to legal yeah. uh, aspects of what it is that, that, is, that is going well, this on. Goes back to and to leaving politics aside, that, line that, that is was, very,
3: very dangerous. You're going back to that line that was coming from Downing Street, uh, that it was a political decision made by uh, the Scottish Supreme Court. But the Scottish Supreme Court, of course, that mm. will now go mm. to the UK Supreme yeah. Court. Mm. Some are referring to that
13: as the English Supreme Court. It's not. Mm. It's the UK mm. Supreme Court. Mm. And that would be the ultimate, um, ultimate
3: uh, arbiter. We'll see what, what, what happens there. Mm. But you've you no c- democracy if the judiciary political. Oh absolutely, uh, I mean, absolutely not you know, and, and they aren't. And, and, they, and, they, and they rode back a, on that claim which was made to the editor of the Sun newspaper but they rode back on it very quickly because they realised that they were getting themselves into In, hot water. Into very dangerous mm-hmm. t- territory
13: yeah. mm-hmm. uh, uh, indeed. So look we're one of a very dangerous set of circumstances mm. here. We are staring down the barrel of potentially uh, a, a no deal mm. um, Brexit. Um, our job Um, in the Irish state is to make sure that the Good Friday Agreement is protected that we have no hard border that citizens rights north and south are protected Uh, and despite the waffle from Downing Street we haven't seen any alternatives to backstop there's been no written communication whatsoever later on today I'm attending a conference with a number of um, interested parties from the UK uh, largely um, a, a group called um, a group called Prosperity uh, UK a think tank that was formed mm. a couple of years ago by actually some remain voting Conservative MPs uh, who um, have developed some concepts uh, providing what they believe are alternatives ultimately to the backstop. I don't believe that there's an alternative mm. to the backstop. I'm attending this particular conference Uh, to represent the Labour Party, have been asked Mm. to do that. I think there will be representatives from all parties there. I, generally speaking, wouldn't be in a room talking about these kind of issues because I think they're academic at the moment. As far as we're concerned, Mm -hmm. we have a deal. But but, but just to put that that um,
3: into context, because an alternative to the backstop means, uh, effectively, that Northern Ireland remains in Europe and out of Europe, Uh, remains in the UK, which is out of Europe, uh, but remains uh, in Europe, which would mean that the all-island aspect of it would continue uh, and that there would be no border as such. But what
13: this particular group is talking about is the kind of technical solutions that I know don't exist mm. and that I think you know oh, don't exist this stuff exist about at cameras point. and all that. Yeah. All of this kind of stuff yeah, yeah. Uh, and some other additional add-ons mm. and additions to the protocols and so on. Mm. What they don't actually do, and you'll see this probably in the mm. media later on because I, I gather there'll be quite an amount of media attention in relation to this particular um, meeting later on today and tomorrow in the Carrickdale, hotel that they're talking a lot about sort of bilateral arrangements between Ireland and the UK they can't exist. We're mm. members of the Single market and the Customs Union for mm. a very, very good reason. Mm. This is a, a matter for the European Union and Ireland, mm. not just a matter between the UK and Ireland. In many ways, this yeah. is the UK's mess. We have an agreement in well, place here. We, we can't that's, make
3: those agreements unless we well, leave Europe ourselves. Well, absolutely.
13: And yeah. we're not going to no. do that. And yeah, we're yeah, not going yeah, to become yeah, a colony yeah, of, yeah. of the yeah. UK again, or some kind of a, a satellite. There are some kind of naive and rather harebrained suggestions in here about special economic zones between Dundalk and Uri and Derry and mm. Donegal goal and so on, that actually d- 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 don't take into consideration at all the difficulties that would cause Ireland mm. in terms of our membership of the Single Market and Customs Union. You know, I accept there are some um, um, well intentioned. Uh, moves and well well intentioned suggestions here, but they're completely unworkable and sadly very naive. And in many ways, reflects, I think, the um, kind of institutional viewpoint and the ignorance of history, mm. maybe, and the ignorance of reality yeah. with someone the, in the, the British establishment in terms of Ireland, how we operate, mm. our history, and where we see ourselves going forward. Nobody really knows what's going to happen. Uh,
3: what are your thoughts, though? Uh, I mean, the clock is ticking down to the 31st I think October. it's very
13: interesting mm. uh, that there's been a softening in the language from the DUP mm. over mm. the last couple of days. Um, remember... Uh, and this is around the the Mm. idea of a Northern Ireland backstop only and essentially remember what the backstop was. the backstop is an insurance policy to keep uh, the integrity of this island which may uh, never be used which may never be used Uh, precisely that which may never be used and
3: there's two years to find an alternative
13: uh, provided that the withdrawal agreement is is accepted Mm. in in one form or another as far as we're concerned the withdrawal agreement is is done and dusted Mm. it's been agreed by every single member state remember that Theresa May and her government uh, accepted the idea of a Northern Ireland backstop and were then prevented from 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 doing that mm-hmm. and and sort of ultimately accepting that by the DUP, um, and now we have an entire UK backstop, which would mean that the UK would stay in the single market and the customs union until such time as the transition r- arrangement was, was organised. What we seem to be moving towards now, potentially, uh, looking at the front page of the London Times this morning, mm. uh, is a scenario where the Northern Ireland backstop would be back in play, which would prevent the hard border, mm. keep Northern Ireland aligned with the single market and the customs union, and prevent a hard border in Ireland That's potentially a solution. It's something I think that we could work with.
3: It might require an election.
13: Until such time, though, as the transition arrangements and so on are done and dusted, Uh, backstop is an insurance policy only, but try telling that to... nationalistic Tories in the UK yeah. I'm going uh, to be re-
3: I think it's a harder thing to sell to the unionists uh, the DUP uh, specifically because they think that they're being treated differently that they're leaving on different terms than the rest of the United Kingdom which is in their view splitting up the union th- that's their
13: that's mm. their, that was their perspective mm. two mm. years ago when Theresa May first tried to sell this mm. um, concept to them. It seems, though, and it's interesting that their language has moderated and changed somewhat yeah. in well, the, that regard. The, and remember, yeah. mm-hmm. um, you know, um, some, 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 sometimes when the facts become clear, things mm. change. Uh, perhaps they're looking at the reality of the decimation that the Northern Irish agricultural industry, would mm. face in the context of a hard border and a hard Brexit. Perhaps they're looking at the impact on jobs. Mm. Who knows? I don't know. Remember as well, Boris Johnson is not as dependent on the DUP mm. as Theresa yeah, May was. I think it's the all politi- bets are off now at this point. It's the
3: politics of it that matter.
13: Yeah. All, all bets are off at this point. Okay. I'm going to be over at the British Labour Party conference in two weeks, having meetings with senior La- uh, Labour mm-hmm. Party officials, Jeremy Corbyn, Keir Starmer and others in mm-hmm. relation to the Irish. We will maintain, obviously, the unanimity that we have, in the Oireachtas around protecting the backstop, protecting the Good Friday Agreement in the interests of peace, stability and the Irish economy.
3: Okay, thank you for coming in to us uh, this morning. That's Labour Party Senator Gerald Nash.
5: Michael Reed on on
3: LMFM. The cost of some contraception and uh, the access to some types of contraception means uh, that there are women who are not using the type of contraception uh, that they feel would suit them best. This is according to the National Women's Council, which has made a submission to the Department of Health's access to contraception. As consultation program and it's calling for a scheme that would provide the most effective and appropriate methods of contraception free of charge to women. We're joined now by Catherine Lane, who's uh, the Women in Local Government and Development Officer with the National Women's Council of Ireland. And a very good morning morning to you, Catherine. Thanks uh, for joining us here on the program this morning. Is it that women aren't using contraception or are they using contraception uh, that they feel doesn't suit them best?
14: Yeah, what we know uh, from our work with women uh, is that there's inconsistent use um, and often um, cost is a major factor in the decisions that women will make in terms of what contraception that they will.
3: Beginning with going to the GP and paying for the doctor.
14: That's right. So the upfront cost we know of the the monthly pill is quite uh, reasonable, but it is those regular GP visits that um, increase the cost for women. So um, in terms of long-acting reversible contraception, there's a a higher cost associated with those, but they could actually be the most effective for women um, and the the most beneficial uh, and would suit women's bodies and suit where they're at with their life stage as well. But currently, we know in many areas... Uh, it can be very challenging for women to maybe find a healthcare provider that can offer this service. Uh, and then there is that high cost associated uh, with fitting those devices as well. So we believe that uh, in Budget 2020, um, this scheme could be introduced. Uh, The government are looking at this. It's a logical next step uh, from our campaign, the campaign that mobilised women around healthcare uh, last year to Mm -hmm. repeal the Eighth Amendment, but a commitment by the government to also look at introducing universal access to contraception.
3: And is it younger women who are more affected by this, uh, or is it across the board, do you think?
14: Definitely, young women are one of the groups that would be impacted. Um, also, women—you know—they tend to be working in more low-paid uh, employment, mm. so obviously cost then is a barrier to accessing the contraception that, that best fits their needs. And I, I take it women it's a mi- also, uh, I'm sorry,
3: i am sorry—I take it it's a, a mixture of things. Uh, one, not necessarily uh, plan- planning uh, a family or planning not to have a, a family, uh, but being sexually active uh, uh, and relying on somebody else to have condoms, perhaps
14: yeah and we know that contraception is typically still largely a woman's concern so it means you know, women are thinking about having to plan for it and women are paying for it as well so um as part of you know modern public health care uh, couples and women should be able to plan their pregnancy should be able to plan their families mm. um, in a safe and effective way and we know you know, women as well living in remote parts of the country um, can find it difficult to attend for a couple of appointments we'll say to get a device fitted so women in rural communities also other groups of women are, are greatly impacted undocumented migrants for example uh, who would have a fear of going to their GP uh, also we know that many migrant women actually uh, get these devices is when they go home to their own countries, but then there's a lack of uh, continued care uh, mm-hmm. in terms of monitoring that and making sure that there's there's no uh, you know follow-up issues. So that's mm-hmm. an issue when that's, when it's not available. Many other countries uh, provide this um, as the norm and have done for for quite some time. Um, so it's, it would be an opportunity for Ireland now to be a leader mm-hmm. in terms of for
3: for all uh, women uh, on, a basis, regard, on a universal basis, regardless yeah. of income, regardless of means.
14: Yes that's right um, and mm-hmm. there is a government committee uh, meeting at the moment and looking at the cost of this but based on figures we have from 2016 um, with the drugs payment scheme and with the medical card uh, the cost was about £13 million. Uh, but it would have a lot of uh, benefits uh, obviously in terms of women's health having free contraceptive con- consultations with GPs. They could also look at other uh, healthcare needs that women have in terms of uh, um, cervical checks or other menstrual health problems or issues that women experience as well. So, uh, and obviously in terms of uh, preventing unintended or unplanned pregnancies as well.
3: Okay. Okay. Uh- there's also the news uh, this week that women's pensions are up to a third lower than men's pensions, uh, those uh, who have uh, been in working in the private sector. Uh, but uh, that's uh, sort of circumstantial, is it not?
14: Well, I suppose we're very aware, again, uh, women have been telling us this for years, that uh, they're they're not getting equal access to pensions um, and that they are disadvantaged when it comes to accessing their pension and having an equal income or a decent income to to live with dignity in their older years. Uh, What this research clearly has shown and reaffirms for us is that the solution uh, for, uh, I suppose, for reducing the gender pension gap doesn't lie in um, private pensions um currently the government allocate a lot of i suppose public resources into tax relief uh that support majority of high earners mm. so if we're trying to look at um financial and economic independence for women in their older years. It's about investing and resourcing and making sure that our first pillar, the state pension system, is the best that it can be because that is, the, the, the research shows that is the greatest protector of women and men uh, against poverty in old age. Mm. So that is the best way of, I suppose, redistributing uh, resources more equally and more fairly. But currently what we have is a lot of women not entitled to a contributory state pension because uh, for those reasons... Those they not Made contributions yeah. Mm. yeah and what mm. we'd like to see it was the broader definition of, of contribution because uh, women certainly have made contributions but maybe not in uh, the paid workforce mm. but in, in unpaid care
3: in what and, we would have called also, stamps years ago but uh, yes. I, I mean the uh, solution uh, is either that uh, women spend less time looking after children out of uh, the workforce or, or men start to spend more time working with or uh, caring for children and later the workforce.
14: Yeah, so we need to see obviously more, you know, more flexibility in terms of, uh, you know, options in the labour market and more equal distribution of care between men and women. But and we also need to see the value of care recognised and that uh, women and men will continue to provide uh, care. For children, for loved ones, into the future, that need as part of society is not going to go away. We just need to plan our policy, our, our pension policy, or reform our mm. system to make sure that th- those who do provide care are not penalised. Then, you know, into their into their older years.
3: Is it that whilst on maternity leave, contributions should be made on your behalf, or if you decide to stay at home whilst uh, your children are at school, uh, should similar contributions be made?
14: Yeah, and there are moves, you know, to look at credits, home caring credits for women. Um, but we believe there shouldn't be a cap on those because often we have, um, situations where women are caring very, for, on a very long-term basis, maybe for a disabled child who becomes a disabled adult. So when, when does that, that caring end? Only recently I had a woman who spoke to me, um, and she's in her late, late fifties and has reared her children, but is now looking after both parents, um, and her husband will, most likely get a qualified adult payment for her when she seeks to to get a pension. So she won't have access to an independent uh, pension herself on, on her in her own individual right. So we think that men and women should um, have you know independent access to the state pension, and it shouldn't be you know on, through your husband. So you're you know essentially dependent mm-hmm. on him uh, to provide for you in your older years.
3: Okay, we have to leave it there for the moment. Thank you though for joining us, Catherine. Catherine Lane, the Women in Local Government and Development Officer with the National Women's Council of Ireland.
5: Michael, Michael Reid. Reid.
3: On LMFM. It is no secret uh, that changes in conditions for serving men and women in the Defence Forces has brought its own challenges. Uh, that's according to Michael D. Higgins. Speaking on Wednesday, the President continued, I have to say, as Supreme Commander, it has brought hardships. Appearing to... Speaking to the politicians, he called for change and that this change should be dealt with sensitivity and urgency. The president said, should this not happen, there's a real danger of a gap opening up between our expressed appreciation of their work and the circumstances we deliver for its practice. President Higgins said serving men and women should have conditions, including an income and prospects that are sufficient to provide for themselves and their families. Let's talk about these comments now with Independent Senator Jared Crockwell. A very good morning to you, Jared Crockwell, and uh, thanks for joining us. I, I'm sure you'll agree with everything that President Higgins had to say.
5: 100% and um, the only regret I have that it, is it took a long time. Um, the President is the Supreme Commander of the Defence Forces and the essence of command and the essence of leadership is looking after those who serve under you. So I'm delighted he came out. I'm delighted with what he said. Um, I understand the a few politicians have their nose out of joint.
3: But of but course they, they do. He's breached every protocol that is associated with the apolitical office of the presidency, has he not?
5: Well, you might argue that. I would argue that under Article 13 of the Constitution, he was perfectly entitled to speak out on the Defence Forces and only the Defence
3: Force. But these are public servants uh, and there's a public service pay agreement uh, which public servants are negotiating with their employer, the government. This is political. The President has made a political statement about paying conditions.
5: No, um, I think your listeners know my view on the President and I have been quite critical of the President in the past. Um, in this particular case, I accept what you're saying, Michael. It is he's a very, very fine line. Uh, But in this particular instance, I think he's covered under Article 13 of the Constitution. Were he to have spoken out on any other public servant, he would have crossed the line. But because of his position as Supreme Commander, I believe he was obliged to speak out. And I'm sorry he didn't do it much earlier.
3: Right. uh, That role of Supreme Commander, though... is not an active role. It is, in effect, an ambassadorial role, as is the office of President, and one that is more symbolic than anything else. He's out of line, surely, is he not, in terms of undermining government strategy?
5: The problem I think we have with respect to government strategy is that they do not have a strategy with respect to the Defence Forces and in particular in respect to retention of the highly skilled people that we spent millions of euros training. I I still support him in what he did, Michael. I I would have difficulty in it. Um, The president has crossed the line on a number of occasions in his previous term of office, and many would say he has crossed the line on this particular issue. I support him, and perhaps the reason I support him is because of the nature of the topic he was he was uh, discussing at the time. So if people find that I am wrong in my support for him, I'm prepared to accept that too.
3: If the President has crossed a line, what does it mean for Michael D. Higgins?
5: Not a whole lot. I don't believe there's anybody in government that would take any steps to um, force the President to retract his statement, or worse still, to impeach him. Um, for a breach of of, uh, his constitutional role. I don't believe... uh, They they don't like it. Government don't like it. And that's quite clear from some of the statements from ministers, etc. But I don't believe anything will happen. I believe we will all settle down next week. And I hope that it'll be more than his words just falling on deaf ears.
3: Right. uh, And obviously, uh, the President's words will be heard. uh, Maybe uh, on deaf ears... uh, from a government perspective, uh, but will it give some impetus uh, to those who are seeking uh, improvements in paying conditions?
5: Ah, yeah, there is no doubt the, the representative bodies, RACO and PD4, uh, have chicken grief, um, um what you call it, out of it. Um, they, they feel somebody is speaking up for them um, at the highest level in the country. So, yes, they will feel. The interesting one, Michael, over the next couple of weeks will be we have the RACO conference which is the commissioned officers, and we have the PD-FORA conference, which is enlisted personnel. We have both of those conferences coming up the last week of September, first week in October. The interesting thing will be the minister's speech, which will be a reply not to the representative bodies, but to the minister or to the president, I feel. So it'll be interesting to see what... um, I'm going to say, Minister, uh, or Taoiseach Bradker, who is the mm. Minister for Defence, yeah. but you and I both know that um, Mr. Bradker will not visit either conference so it will be um, Paul Keogh Minister with responsibility Paul Keogh
3: OK we'll see what he has to say uh, no doubt he'll be speaking for the Taoiseach and whole of government uh, when he does make that address so as you say it should prove to be very interesting we have to leave it there for the moment though and thank you indeed for joining us as always Independent Senator Jared Crockwell brings our programme to its conclusion today and indeed for this week before we go let me remind you there'll be a podcast of today's programme available on our website lmfm.ie this afternoon thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching and Paul McKenna in the control term. I'm Michael Orla Carmody will be here though on Monday and I hope you have a lovely weekend and join us for our next programme which will be at 9am on LMFM on Monday. Good morning Bye bye
2: The Michael Reid Show podcast Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM To contact us, email now michael at lmfm.ie
1: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you.